0: And begin by apologizing that I have a cough drop in my mouth. And the reason I do is that I got into a coughing fit in the 9.30 service. And you'd a lot rather hear this than what I did then. It reminds me of a, a gentleman who used to preach, and he always preached exactly 32 minutes long. And people ask him, How do you always just hit that perfectly? He said, Well, it's easy. He said, I have a mint in my pocket, and I just always would pop a mint before I'd go to preach. And whenever the mint was gone, I knew to stop speaking. Well, one particular Sunday, he went about an hour and a half. And somebody said, well, What happened? He said, Well, I reached in my pocket and I got a button by mistake. <coughs> and so I've checked. This is a lossenage. it's not a button, so you're in good shape. We're talking about habits. And as we begin, let me just say a shout out to all of our community campuses, especially those that are part of our real life family, those that are in Austin and Hayes County and Corpus Christi. It's great to have all of them joining us today. Uh, we're talking about habits in this series called The Struggle is Real. And you, usually when we think about habits, we think about negative habits. But the truth is, is that habits are a part of our life, and some of those habits are, are good habits. They actually serve us well. There was a research project that was done at Duke University, and those researchers found out that for most of us, habits make up 40% of our daily lives. They're part of the fabric of our life. Some of those habit, habits are good And some of those habits are bad. Let's just begin by defining what a habit is. A habit is a reoccurring pattern of behavior that often happens much uh, without our awareness or our conscious intent, and it is established by frequent repetition. Habits can serve us because what happens is they can serve our brain power that we can utilize then for uh, events that are novel or events that are complex or things that are urgent. Uh, There are habits that just kind of uh, fall into place. Uh, For example, when I get up in the morning and I get ready to leave for work here at the church, I grab my keys in the place that I always put them. The fact that I have a habit of putting those keys on a little hook there by the door keeps me from having to spend effort. I just reach up there mindlessly. I have mindfully put them there so that I can uh, leverage mindlessness when I need to. And the keys are there, and then I get in my uh, car, and I drive out of the garage, and you know, the first time I did that, I had to think through all of that. My car, I believe, will make it to the church without me thinking one thought. In fact, there are many times that I have decided I'm gonna drop off the cleaning on the way to church, on the way to the office, and, and I pull into the church, and I realize my cleaning is still beside me because I got into that habit. Again, that's great if it's a positive habit. It's negative if it is a, 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 as a problem, if it is a negative habit. See, a habit re- really requires no decision for me because I've already decided what I'm gonna do in a certain circumstance. The alarm goes off in the morning and I get up and I go to the bathroom and I brush my teeth and I shave and I put on my hat, put on my robe, I go out and get the paper, I eat breakfast. There's just uh, uh, a lot of things that I do that I don't have to decide again what to do. Now. By mindfully choosing our habits, we harness the power of mindlessness. Some of those habits are good and some of those are bad. And I just want to just recount some of the good habits and the bad habits so we kind of all click in on the kinds of things that we're talking about. Good habits are things like exercising, uh, things like saving money. And some of you have a habit. You have uh, a habit of saving money. There's something that happens almost automatically and you don't have to decide again to save money. It's like reading the Bible, or being faithful to your spouse, or spending quality time with your kids, or sharing your faith. Some of you have a habit of sharing your faith. If there is a little bit of an opening, a little bit of an opportunity, you just share your faith. You can't help it. You're not redeciding to do that. You've already made a big decision that anytime there is an opportunity to share, you're going to share. Some of you have the habit of generosity. When you can give of your financial resources or you can give of your time or you can give of your influence, you readily do that. It's not a decision you have to make again. It is a habit of your life. Some of you have a habit of serving others. Some of us have a habit of forgiving quickly. Some have a habit of affirming others and encouraging others. Some have a habit of listening. Some have started this wonderful habit of attending a life group and all the benefits that go along with that. You know, when I was growing up, we got up on Sunday morning. My parents didn't go outside and check the weather to see if we were going to go to church or not. And when it came to time to attend a life group, we didn't say, well, are we going to stay for life group or not? There There was no question in my home. That was just a given. A decision had been made, and so it happened. It was a habit of life. Some of you have a habit of finishing what you start. Actually, I actually have a friend that has this wonderful, cool habit that when the alarm goes off in his house, he doesn't let his feet hit the floor. He slides out of his bed, and the first thing that hits the floor is his knees. And before he ever does anything else, he gives the day to God. I think that's a good habit. I think that pays dividends. But there are also bad habits, are there not? Uh, habits like overcommitting, uh, taking on more than we can do and not keeping our commitments. The habit of inactivity. The habit of excessive television watching. The habit of hoarding and causing everything to be in a clutter because you can't let go of anything. The habit of driving too fast. The habit of spending more than you make. The habit of overeating or eating the wrong things. The habit of viewing porn or making excuses anytime you fail. The habit of smoking or the habit of lying. Or the habit of the excessive use of cell phones. Marsha and I uh, decided that we would celebrate Valentine's a little early, so we went out to a steak restaurant on uh, Friday night. And as we walked in, it was very apparent that a lot of people had made the same decision, a lot of two-fours in the restaurant. And they were all dressed up and everybody was doing the thing. But Marsha and I noticed how many people, as we left, were looking at their cell phones instead of talking to each other on Valentine's celebration. See, they had a habit they just couldn't break. There was a cue, the ping or whatever other noise they had and they had to look immediately and it was more important no matter what it was than the relationship that was supposed to be so important. Good habits and bad habits. Benjamin Franklin said your net worth is what remains after you subtract your bad habits from your good ones. (laughs) Bad habits are like a comfortable bed. They're easy to get into but they're hard to get out of. First, we form our habits, and then we find that our habits form us. And it is true that our habits become our destiny. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans, the seventh chapter, uh, beginning in verse 18, and we're going to look at what Paul says about his habits. In Romans 7, 18, Paul writes, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about recurring bad behavior. He's talking about a bad or a negative habit. He's talking about what he calls in other parts of Scripture as his besetting sins. So what are the biblical principles that can guide us as we seek to create healthy, holy habits that help us move toward the person that God has called us to be in Christ Jesus, and how can we... Eliminate the bad habits that take us off course. I think there's at least four biblical principles that we can uh, apply to our life to overcome bad habits. The first is the principle of honesty. Look there in verse 19 of our scripture today. Verse 19, latter part of the verse, he says, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. Now this is rather impressive that Paul the Apostle who was looked up to by so many people, would put in writing these words, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. That's pretty bold. That's pretty honest, isn't it? And friends, that's where it begins for us when we get honest about the mistakes that we make over and over and over again that have become a part of the fabric of habits of our life. That's how salvation begins, isn't it? When we own our own sins and we say, Lord, save us. I'm a sinner. And the fact that there is grace allows us to do that. See, none of us could own our sins. None of us could admit we have bad habits. None of us could claim to be sinners if God did not extend his grace. But because he has extended his grace, we can be honest about where we are. And friends, you'll never get healthy if you don't declare your disease. You'll never get where you need to be if you don't know where you are. Facts are our friends. What is your reality? You know, one of the things we find about behavior modification is that it's important to monitor what's really going on. If you're trying to lose weight, one of the suggestions that uh, many people would say is to keep a food diary because we eat a lot more than we think we eat. And we eat a lot more of the wrong things than we would admit to anybody. But when you keep a food diary, there it is in black and white. You can't ignore it. One of the most popular devices right now is a fitbit type of device that you put on your wrist to, to measure your activity during the day and it tells you if you met your goal or not uh i have a friend that uh when they walk they don't put their hand in their pocket because if you put your hand in your pocket you don't get credit for that you've got to be swinging that arm to, in order to get credit <laughs> for those steps But, you know, the Fitbit doesn't lie. If you've been sitting around and you've been inactive, it's going to tell you what that is. And it's that honesty. It's that uh, tracking when you're trying to get your finances in, in place. It's the tracking of your spending and where that money is going and knowing where it's going that gives you the information that you need to get back to where you need to be. And so the first thing I would challenge you to do today, and this may be worth the trip today, is just to sit down with a blank sheet of paper and put a pen down and just pray a simple prayer. God, show me what are the reoccurring sequence of events, the reoccurring patterns of behavior that are negative in my life, that are damaging my witness, that's causing me to not move forward and becoming more like Jesus Christ. God, just show me my bad habits. And here's a promise that I have for you. God will answer that prayer. I've never found that God was shy when I prayed that prayer. You won't be able to write fast enough. And, but there's something about putting it on paper. There's something about black and white. There's something about revealing it instead of avoiding it and being in denial. Would you do that? Would you just ask him, Father, what do you want to work on that is happening over and over again in my life? What are those besetting sins? What are those patterns uh, that are negative in my life? So the first principle is a principle of honesty. The second principle is the principle of accountability. In in James, the fifth chapter, in verse 16, it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Uh, There's something about having someone in the process with you. Uh, Here's my question for you today. Who is it that is in your life that is a partner for habit modification? Who is it that you've been honest enough with to say, you know, this is something i am struggled with. This has been a part of my life for a long time. This is my default, and it's causing real problems in my relationships, it's causing problems in these other, I'm going to change that. I'm going to establish a new habit in the place of this. Would you hold me accountable? Would you ask me about this? One of the best passages on this partnership, on this accountability is found in Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter in verse nine. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone two can resist him a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart one of the things that we stress a lot here at real life and Legpoint point is the importance of life groups and uh, in a life group there's a, a lot of benefits one is that you study God's word together another is that you do God's word together but a real key to that thing is accountability in that there's a group there to encourage you to establish the habits that serve you well and to eliminate those habits that do not. Uh, this was brought out to us one of the importance of, uh, of life groups recently when the tornadoes hit Rowlett, Texas. The house started shaking, and in about 60 seconds, it's all over. And you're just kind of left stunned, going, did that really just happen? Within 30 minutes, there was a text from somebody in our life group going, are you okay? Have, have you been hit? And we said yes, and then, of course, what can we do? People were offering us cars, they were offering us their homes, just anything. They were just, I can't even tell you literally within 30 minutes of being hit by the tornado. That's our church family, okay? We're helping everyone. We're helping everyone today. I was just so amazed the day I came in after the storm to see how many donations were piled up, literally six or seven feet tall, and just the amount of volunteers that came throughout the next few days to sort and organize everything that came in so that it could be redistributed to these families. I just thought, wow, these people need help and i was hoping our church would step up and do that and our church has stepped up and and helped these people and and these people are great i mean they've lost everything and they need help and they're very appreciative of what the church provides them you know aside from the tragedy and the disaster i've seen nothing but the good in people i think it's important that, that people realize how not just when there's a, a tornado or a tragedy of some sort or disaster, how important it is to have a network of Christian friends that you can depend on to help you or, or pray for you or offer guidance and support. You don't have to worry about asking for help when you belong to a church like Lake Point and a life group like the one we're in because they just show up to help. You don't even have to ask for it. And that, that's what was amazing. Great testament to the DNA of our life group. One phone call is all James had to make, and we were able to mobilize 25 people to help them out. We saw so many people that were continually grateful and thankful, um, you know, like I say, just to be alive. I don't know how people deal with it without Jesus and the hope of Christ. Life groups are God's plan to care for people and their physical needs and their emotional needs. But most of all, it is God's plan for us to support one another spiritually. And we're trying to become the person that God has called us to be. First of all, there is the principle of honesty. Second of all, there is the principle of accountability. Third, there is the principle of environment. Because the environment really does make a difference in terms of our success and changing the habits in our life. The people who are in the science of behavior modification, the people who study this whole issue of habit, talks about, they talk about the habit loop and they say there are three parts of it. The first of all is the cue. You know, when I get ready to go to the office in the morning, when I hear the jingle of those keys, it sets off a sequence of events called me driving to church. The second part of that is the routine Or the actual activities involved or the sequence of activities involved in that particular habit and then there is finally the reward now the reward might be a selfish reward it might be a temporary or a shallow reward but if there was not a reward this would not repeat itself there was some payoff in that habit or it would not have become a habit Now, what's interesting about that is when I saw that, I realized that there's a parallel in the scripture. In James, if you have a Bible with you, in James, the first chapter, it talks about a parallel to that same uh, three things that happened there. First of all, in James 1, beginning in verse 13, it says this, "'Let no one say when he is tempted, "'I am being tempted by God.'" For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. We don't get into these habits because God threw them in our way. Verse 14 says, But everyone is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so what you have here is you have a parallel to these three uh, stages. You have lust you have the actual sin action itself and then according to the scripture you have the results which is death now is this interesting because here it's reward and here it's death in hebrews the 11th chapter it says that sin is pleasure for a season all right there's a reward to sin uh how many of you have ever enjoyed sin would you just raise your hand with me Those of you watching online or at our other campus, how many of you have ever enjoyed sin? If you haven't enjoyed sin, you just had not found the right sin yet, okay? (laughs) Because the Bible says that sin is pleasure for a season. That's why disobedience becomes a habit for some of us. But catch it, don't miss it. It's pleasure for a season. The ends thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. And so what happens is we lust or there's some kind of cue that begins us down that path. Then we actually step outside of God's will and then we sin. And then the results take place. The result might be a short-term reward, but the end is eventually death. Now, usually when we think about the word lust, we think about our thought process. Uh, Jesus said, you should not commit adultery. You've heard that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look after at a woman with lust that you've committed a kind of adultery in your heart. Now, several things are important here. First of all, Jesus was not saying it's just as bad to think about it as to do it. But what he was saying was that both are a sin. It's a sin to have an illicit relationship with someone that you don't have a lifelong commitment to, an exclusive lifelong commitment to, but there's another sin, and that's thinking about having a listed relationship with someone you do not have a lifelong commitment to. And the reason that second one is a sin is because it usually leads to the first one mentioned. That's what he's saying. And so what he's saying is be careful what you think about because here's the progression. We think about sinning, we contemplate sinning, we daydream about sinning, we fantasize about sinning, and then, oh my goodness, surprise, surprise, we actually commit the sin. And then that leads to the death of our relationship, the death of our conscience, the death of our innocence, the death of our witness, all kinds of deaths that come. And that word death means separate, and it separates us from the love of God. So if you want to stop that death, you want to stop that result, if you want to stop that reward, you stop it at the thinking process. Now, where lust is talking about the thinking process, it's more than that. It's the entire environment of our life. And certainly, a large part of that environment of our life is our thought process. In Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse eight, it says, Be careful what you let into your mind. Have some high standards about what you think about. Think about things that are pure. Think about things that are lovely. Think about things that are of a good report. Think about things that are praiseworthy or things that are of excellence. In other words, guard your mind, because the mind is the beginning of the behavior. But it's more than just our mind. It's the people we hang around. It's the circumstances that we find ourselves in. You see, this whole concept of lust is about an environment. Because there are some environments in which the seeds of Satan easily grow. The soil of our life welcomes the seeds of Satan and we then bear the fruit of Satan or we can have a soil in our life that is a soil that is uh, resistant to that and that the seeds of God readily grow in. It's made up of the thoughts that we have. It's made up of the books that we read. It's made up of the conversations that we have. It's made up of the people that we hang around with. It's made up of the environment that we're in. Here's one of the questions that I would ask are what are the cues in your life that begins a progression that takes you somewhere you don't want to be? Uh, what is that cue when you're bored? Is that cue when you're tired? Is that cue when you've been mistreated and you think you deserve something? Is that cue hanging around a certain group of people? If you're an alcoholic, you don't need to be in an environment where they're serving liquor. Does that make sense? If you're having trouble with sexual sin, there are certain programs, movies that you don't need to look at or watch. And so it's about being honest about our sin. It's about being accountable in relationships where there are people who are on our team to help us do what we need to do. But it's also about controlling our environment. It's about controlling the the uh, potential of good habits versus the potential of bad habits. The final principle uh, that will help us as we uh, cultivate good habits is the principle of power. Look back, if you will, at our text today in Romans 7, verse 24. Uh, Paul writes, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what he's reminding us is that because Christ is in our life, we can break old habits, bad habits. We can develop new good, positive, healthy habits. One of my favorite scripture comes from Philippians 4:13 that says, "I can do all things through him who strengthens me." That's a wonderful that's a wonderful promise, is it not? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That means that there's not a person listening today that has a habit who cannot break that habit if you are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news or what? But here's the reality. The reality is if we're honest, that we have habits that have been a part of our life before we came to Christ and continue to be a part of our life that continues to cause death in our life. Why is that if we can do all things through him who strengthens us? The only thing I can figure is that we don't want to change. If there's a negative habit in your life, if there's a negative habit in my life, and we can do all things through him who strengthens us, the only explanation for the fact that it is still there is we want it to be there. And we're trusting that habit and what it provides, the reward that it gives to us, we're trusting it to provide for us something we are not trusting God to provide for us. But here's the reality. The reality is we'll never overcome. We'll never break the habit if we believe that we're helpless. And the principle of power is to understand that we are not helpless, that we have the power to do all things through him who strengthens us. But it's more than that. It's the power of the relationship. It is on one hand the fact that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to you and I to overcome anything in our life, any challenge, any temptation. But even more than that, it's the power of his love. And Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he was talking about why he had come to share the gospel with them. He said, it is the love of Christ that constrains me. The thing that motivates me, the thing that causes me to have to take the risk that I'm taking to share the gospel with you is the love of Christ. And please understand that the greatest power that you have in your life to be the person God's calling you to, do, to be is the love that you have and the intimacy of the relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. Guilt is not the strongest motiva- um, uh, motivator in life. If it were, you and I would have already overcome all of our sin. Shame is not powerful enough to cause us to change. If we ever change, if we ever overcome, if we're ever victorious, it's going to be because we've fallen in love with Jesus Christ. and We want so much to make Him proud and we appreciate so much the sacrifice that He made on our behalf that we use the power that we already have to be different. The love of Christ constrains me. Let's thank the Lord for that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all that you give to us. But most of all today, we thank you for the power to overcome. The, the power to be who you're calling us to be. Not only the resurrection power, but even more than that, dear Father, the power of love. And Father, as we consider that you allowed your body to be broken and we allowed, and you allowed your blood to be poured out on our behalf, Father, it inspires us, it motivates us, and it empowers us to be different in this world to be the most self-controlled, to be the most loving people, to be the most sensitive, to be the most patient, to be the most generous, because you've been all of that to us. We thank you for all this. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.